One. What is up? We're back. Another week. It is Tuesday, September 15th, and it is the week one recap show. I am your host, Randy Hammond. This is Football Life Presents the Audible, and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Bushnell, who I assume is doing pretty well today. How are you doing, man? I tell you, I may live in Arizona, Randy, and the weather's beautiful in Arizona. Let's not kid ourselves. Gorgeous, gorgeous days lately. But, man, Chicago coming through. We got the best baseball team in the American League. We're home of the undefeated, undisputed, reigning, defending, week one champion Chicago Bears. And, man, I am ready to go. Man, I am so ready. This, oh, football was back, and what a debut. I can't say that the weather in upstate New York compares to the weather in Arizona, but what I will say is that this is the time of year where the leaves start changing and fall is in the air and the air becomes a little more crisp, and it is the best time of the year to live in the Northeast by far, Uh, especially if you're a football fan because it's football weather out there right now. It's a beautiful day today, and we have a loaded show for you. We're going to break down each and every game that happened this over the weekend, and man, was it a crazy week one. I'm so happy that football is back. It was a great Sunday just hanging out watching football, having a few beers. What a great day. Finally, finally here. Uh, We're going to preview Thursday Night Football. We're going to break down the injuries that took place over this past weekend, which we have a few big ones. And then a big name just came out right before we came live here, Matt. Uh, And then we have a fantasy update. And we'll have a couple guests join the show throughout uh, to talk about maybe his poor uh, Lions disappointment. And then uh, our fantasy guru, Felipe Melicio, will be joining us as well. Of course, I'm mentioning Leon Tompkins, Matt. I know you're looking forward to that segment. Oh, yeah. I, I'm ready. I brought out the Bears gear. <laughs> Everything's ready to go. I I have a special song for Leon. Like, we're really going to roll out the red carpet today for Leon. Yeah. Uh, can't wait for that. It's going to be great. Uh, I, I tend to – I love laughing at other people's pain. and uh, It's despite <laughs> me not being able to talk all that much. Anyway, we're going to start off with Monday Night Football because we had a doubleheader last night, a game ending late last night. The only game I really didn't get to watch any of, but uh, – you know, we're going to talk about it. I don't know how much you caught of it, but the Titans beat the Broncos in an ugly game to wrap up week one. Steven Goskowski missing four kicks, three field goals and one extra point, but winning it at the end. The Titans go on to beat Drew Locke, who looked pretty good, I should say, uh, 16 to 14 on Monday Night Football. Matt, did you catch any of this game? What are, what are some takeaways if you did? Man, I tell you, my biggest takeaway was how much this offense misses Cortland Sutton. Uh, mm-hmm. For as good as Drew Locke looked, it kind of goes back to that Houston Texans kind of feel in the game where you never felt like, man, offensively they can't get it going. Cortland Sutton seems to open things up for that offense a lot. And him being out there or him not being out there hurt that team a lot. The Titans – I don't know how they do it, Randy. It's just so ugly. It's ground and pound. <laughs> it's not pretty. I mean, really, they should have blown the doors off this team. And I'm still not a believer in Ryan Tannehill. I, I'm waiting for someone to say that he didn't play well. And I, it's not that I don't think he played well, but he didn't play good. It just felt like Ryan Tannehill. You know, I mean, the stats say he did play pretty well. Uh, I mean, the completion percentage isn't the greatest, but, you know, 29 of 43, 250 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, that's a game manager as far as I'm concerned. You, you ride your bell cow. Gave the ball to Derrick Henry 31 times for 116 yards rushing. I mean, it's ugly, but it gets the job done. Uh, like you said about the Dem- Denver, though, I think they really miss Cortland Sutton. Not having the other rookie, K.J. Hamler, I think was disappointing. Plus, Philip Lindsay leaves this game with an injury. So it was the Melvin Gordon show primarily. And he looked pretty good. 15 carries, 78 yards and a touchdown. 
you got to be okay with that. I mean, you know, Melvin Gordon switching teams in division, decent debut for him. Drew Locke, though, 20 like the star for Drew Locke this year. Yeah, I do as well. I, I think he'll get better as the year goes on. You hope that he keeps on improving and you keep on moving forward with his progression. progressions. I think Pat Shermer is the perfect offensive coordinator for him. So I see a lot of good things for Denver in, in the near future. I think it's going to be really good for him. Yeah, they're going to get better as, you know, when they get Sutton back and when they get healthier. You know, you're relying a lot on, you know, Noah Fant, which is fine, and it's some backup tight ends. But, you know, the, the healthier they get, the better that they will be in Denver. So uh, interesting game to wrap up the, the week one slate. But the game before that, which is the game I had my eyes on, and I know a lot of people in my area did, uh, the New York football Giants starting their Joe Judge tenure uh, facing off against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That was a competitive game through three quarters, but ultimately the better team pulled away in the fourth quarter. The Steelers came away with a 26-16 to 16 win, and it just kind of showed me that the Giants still need a lot of work to be done on this roster and that the Steelers are very happy to have Big Ben back. Matt, I'm losing your audio here, my friend. Oh, uh, I apologize. <laughs> there I am. I put myself on mute because maybe my opinion just isn't good enough here. I'll say this. I was impressed with Big Ben. You know, honestly, coming yeah. back, not playing a year, he looked good. Juju Smith-Schuster, as good as advertised. I always had questions like, I'm not sure if he's a number one wide receiver, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards, I think, Schuster's a number one wide receiver. You know, maybe top 10 status in the NFL at this point. I really like De Deontay Johnson, and I don't know why the announcers were making it sound like, you know, Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler – Benny Snell Jr. looked really good for a yeah. running back. I thought it was an impressive performance, and they kept on re referencing like, well, this offense isn't as good without James Conner. I'm starting Benny Snell Jr. right away. Like, <laughs> goodbye, you're done, Conner. I, I, I thought ben, Benny Snell Jr. was really good. From a Giants perspective, I would say there's a, you could take positives from it. That mm -hmm. offensive line's bad. It's so bad. Saquon, for those Saquon detractors, like, Randy, I'll say on, in your defense, you're not against Saquon. You're just against the pick going number two overall when your team is so far away that it didn't make yeah. sense to pick them there. And, and that's totally justifiable. I'm against investing in a running back when you still have other flaws on your roster and that the running back is set up to fail just by taking the field. For example, Benny Snell, I can't tell you off the top of my head where he was drafted, but he came into this game as a backup running back for the Steelers, always kind of been a backup running back for the Steelers. Behind a great offensive line with an established Hall of Fame, uh, future Hall of Famer quarterback, Benny Snell comes in, rushes the ball 19 times for 113 yards and was finishing runs hard and clearly made a bigger difference than James Conner did at any point in this game. And Saquon Barkley on the other side of the ball, every time he took a handoff, was met behind the line of scrimmage. He had 15 carries for six yards. Six yards on 15 carries. Are you kidding me? This is that's a big, big fat joke. So this is my biggest issue with investing in running backs in general. If you have the offensive line in place, you have the quarterback in place, and you are ready to contend, by all means, have a, have a great running back. I don't care. But when you tell me that on the, on the guy on the other side of the field, like Benny Snell, who is a no-name guy, comes in and – just can rush for a hundred yards in his sleep because you already have all those things. I just don't see the logic in keeping and then drafting running back high and keeping uh, paying him for so long. I don't want to get into this argument again, because I feel like it's a weekly thing for me. That's the most frustrating thing. Uh, Giants offensive line did not look good despite spending a first round pick on an offensive lineman. Although Andrew Thomas, probably the best player on the, the best offensive lineman on the field for the Giants. 
Um, defense looked better than I expected in the first three quarters. Obviously ran out of gas late. Uh, this game to me, you know, this whole season to me really is about Daniel Jones. Uh, Daniel Jones showed flashes in this game, you know, showed me, you know, that last year wasn't the biggest fluke ever. He had a couple bonehead turnovers, but I think those things can be corrected. Um, even the first turnover was a great play by TJ Watt. He kind of stayed back in, in the in pass rush and, and intercepted the ball, but I don't know where he was going with that ball anyway. I was looking at where the routes were. Didn't look like a great decision, but the second one, it was an 18-play drive, and on the 19th play, you're at the seven-yard line in the red zone. You roll out to the left, which is a questionable decision from a play call standpoint to begin with. You got to throw the ball away or take the sack, my friend. You cannot let that guy get to you, hit you, affect the ball, and just let that sitting duck just sit there and land into Cameron Hayward's hands because that's a momentum shifter and completely changed the game after that. Yeah, it really felt like it went downhill at that exact moment. They just struggled to find their footing. To You know, I don't want to say Daniel Jones – is a rookie anymore because I, I think that's a misnomer but that that interception in that red zone was just so awful because you have time and everything is so sped up in the red zone it's bang bang mm-hmm. you have to make your decision you either chuck that thing out of bounds as soon as you see your primary two covered or you know like we talked about you, you take the sack you, you don't try to make something <clears throat> out of nothing because the Steelers are too good defensively they're too fast yeah. And that's where every time you see a quarterback hold onto the ball too long in the red zone, you always know disaster's coming. It, it rarely turns out well for the offense in that situation. And just, you know, one of those mistakes to really cap off a, a really impressive drive. And I thought Daniel Jones showed great poise this game. If, if I'm a Giants fan, I am really excited about what I saw from Daniel Jones. I want to see him get better. But overall, against probably one of the top defenses in the NFL this year as they were tops last year in the NFL. I, mm-hmm. I give the Giants offense, you know, a B minus just because the offensive line just really didn't do well. And I, I know Giants fans will stick up for Andrew Thomas, but I didn't see anything that I'm like, yeah, this guy, this guy's here. He just looked better than all the rest of them. <laughs> I guess that's the only credit to him is that he did not uh, appear to be a human turnstile like Cam Fleming did. Um, Jones's final stat line, not the greatest, but still solid. 26 of 41, 279 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, you know, Darius Slayton is, a, is emerging as a wide receiver, one for the Giants. He is clearly Daniel Jones's guy. He had six catches for 100 yards, two touchdowns. Um, and as long as Golden Tate is in and out of the lineup, you know, you need a guy who's reliable for Jones. And I think Slayton is that guy. You know, in this offense, it had a, one of the worst games I've ever seen from Evan Ingram on top of the offensive line play. I, I just don't know what he's going to be as a tight end in the future. Uh, he's not a tight end to me. I think you have to shift him to an offensive lineman, eventually, uh, not an offensive line, a wide receiver eventually, because it's clear that's kind of what he is at this point. But, um, you know, only lost by 10. I don't want to be like this crazy optimistic Giants fan, but, uh, you know, it's hard to not like some of the things that you saw, but obviously they're very far away from a talent standpoint. Should be an interesting game against your Bears next week, Matt, and we'll get into that later in this week. Yep, it will be interesting for sure. Uh, and before we get into the Sunday games, uh, I want to talk about well, the Sunday early games. I want to talk about Sunday Night Football, which is obviously the other primetime game. The Dallas Cowboys going to Los Angeles and kind of laying an egg to me. Um, I was really disappointed in what the Cowboys did against the Rams, um, although they kind of had a controversial pass interference call on uh, My- Michael Gallup towards the end of that game. They would lose uh, on a field goal, you know, 2017. 
I'm, if anything, I'm impressed by the Rams defense and specifically Aaron Donald absolutely wrecked this game. Some of the clips of him just using the Cowboys offensive line, which is really good still as bowling pins, just, just saying, get the hell out of my way. There's nothing you can do to stop me. And it's like one guy knocking out three of those guys. I just, I can't help but though. I'm going to watch the Rams every week just for Aaron Donald. I don't see how you, <laughs> if you like defensive line play and you just watch him work, it is so impressive. His hand placement, his strength, his push, his quickness, yeah. agility, everything you want from a defensive lineman. That's what Aaron Donald is. Even the double teams. I mean, he takes two guys, pushes them back into the pocket. You have to chip him with a running back, if not triple team him with the tackle. It is what he does for that defense is so impressive. And Leonard Floyd, um, I'm not sure if he got credit for half a sack or a full sack that game, but you know, he showed up because I just like Aaron Donald, this was supposed to be what Leonard Floyd would be with the bears, you know, picking up the garbage sacks that Cleo Mack wasn't getting, but obviously mm-hmm. that didn't happen in Chicago. So the they count- did give him a sack on that. Okay. They did good, credit him. Yeah. Good for Leonard Floyd. Dallas is just, we talked about it when we did our, um, preseason review of how we look at every team and we went through the games with Dallas and it just shows I I don't believe in Dallas when push comes to shove and you have to dig down deep and have that gut check you know where's Dallas where's Amari Cooper you know your big time 20 million dollar wide receiver where's Dak Prescott who's your franchise quarterback and wants this big contract where's Zeke Zeke had a great game but once again, this disappears at the end, just like all the Cowboys yeah. do. So the Rams did not impress me offensively either. I'm not like awestruck by what the Rams did offensively because I still think yeah. Dallas's defense is widely overrated if people yeah. rate them high to begin with. But you know what, though? The MVP of the game, Randy, SoFi Stadium. Oh, man, it's beautiful, isn't it? $5 billion. It is beautiful. It is so gorgeous. And you know what's wonderful about it? It makes Jerry World look like a three-ring circus. It's <laughs> so nice. Yeah, I I liked how the Rams came out on offense. But, you know, a lot of these teams, a lot of these coaches like McVay will probably script that sort of open uh, to begin with. Uh, I would like to see more out of Robert Woods. He is a potential wide receiver once me. And, you know, he had six for 105 yards. Goff, it to me, is limited because you do a lot of these dink and dunk screen plays. It's kind of too cute of an offense for me. It's not – there's nothing intimidating about it. It really just feels like an annoying dink and dunk offense. Um, not quite as reminiscent as, like, the Patriots because they still had a downfield threat typically, and Gronk was a difference maker. But when you look at the system for the Rams, it feels like they're going to struggle with making big plays downfield, especially. Uh, Malcolm Brown looked good. Um, and, I, I mean, their running attack did well in general, but – I, I just – I think this game's more on the Cowboys. I mean, Dak, I expected more from. He was 25 for 39, 266 yards, only one touchdown. Cooper, as you said, he had 10 catches, but only 81 yards. Where are the big plays come? Like, I thought the Cowboys were going to have all these big plays. Um, and like I said, the play at the end, of, I, it looked like offensive passing points to me because, like, we talked about with Kittle in the Super Bowl, once you extend your arm, they're going to call that. And they called it on A.J. Green, which we'll talk about in a minute too. Um, you can't extend that arm. It's such an easy call for the officials to make. I know Ramsey sold it. But at the end of the day, it was probably the right call. So uh, I'm disappointed in the Cowboys' offense. Only 17 points on this Rams' defense that I don't think is that great. So I don't know. I, I'm a little sour on the Cowboys after that performance. Yeah, indicative of the NFC least this week. Yeah, which we'll talk about the first place team, which is 
the most shocking thing out of all of this, but uh, one team, one nameless team remains at the top after the first week of the season. But now we're going to go rapid fire here, Matt, and I kind of want to do uh, odds and evens with you with uh, game-wise because uh, just try to save some time because we go through every game like this. We can talk for three hours. Um, but I'll start off by doing the, the first game. Let me just pull up the rundown here. And it is the the worst game of the week, if you ask me. Uh, the Jets going to Western New York and getting walloped by the Bills. They would lose 27 to 17. And this is the matchup of two for, uh, top 10 picks in the 2017 draft, quarterback-wise, and division rivals, well, technically rivals. But this is Josh Allen against Sam Darnold. And one quarterback looked like that he was further along in his development process than the other. And it's surprising because it's Josh Allen. Josh Allen had his first career 300-yard passing game. He looked good with his legs. Uh, Stephon Diggs making an early impact on the team. Uh, they, they have a good running attack with Singletary and Moss. Uh, I don't like how Moss is kind of taking my touches away from Singletary fantasy-wise, but still power back that they need. Uh, I really like the Bills team. I really like their defense. And the Jets, man, they are just a mess. Um, we talked about it in, in our production meeting before the show that Sam Tarnold does not look like he is improving at all. And if I'm a Jets fan, I'm kind of wondering here, uh, when is this going to turn around? Because um, I'm not putting it all on Sam, but I'm waiting to see when he gets rid of these boneheaded mistakes. I'm talking about rolling to the right, leaping and throwing across your body. And just that's not a good decision for Patrick Mahomes, who has a significantly better arm. So I don't understand how he still thinks he can make those plays. Um, Darnold still makes those boneheaded decisions, but I'll, I'll give Darnold a break here. The Jets have the worst offensive skill position players around him. There's just nothing there. And uh, Le'Veon Bell left this game early with an injury. You're looking at Frank Gore as your leading rusher with 24 yards. Frank Gore is 85 years old, somehow still in the league. James Crowder had a long touchdown, so that makes his stat line look good, 7 for 115. Uh, Herndon only had six catches for 37 yards. Rashad Perriman only four, five targets, three for 17. Where Where is this offensive production coming from? And the offensive line is not good enough to – establish the run. So Darnold, I think, is set up for failure to begin with, but he is not getting better himself. So good on the Bills, um, bad on the Jets, and I am I just don't know what the what's going to happen with the Jets if they end up with a top three pick and a chance to get uh, Trevor Lawrence. Um, but, Matt, you know, with, the, with this uh, this rapid-fire segment here, we're not going to go each go back and forth on these games, so I want you to talk about the next game on the list. Yep, Seahawks, Falcons, I called it, I knew it. Seattle goes to Atlanta and absolutely just makes the Falcons look like little boys. When you try to be the baddest bird in the sky, Randy, one's going to die, and the Falcons just went down in a ball of feathers. Russell Wilson, just completely incredible, 38-24 Seattle. That touchdown pass to DK Metcalf was so beautiful. Russell Wilson, like I'm, I'm just going to throw out a, just – Two numbers here, 88.6% completion percentage and four touchdown passes. Efficiency to the max. If he's not one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL, I'm going to call you a bullshit liar because Russell Wilson is the man. You know, even if you want to bring up his unlimited video, which this game he was unlimited with the touchdown passes, but Seattle in a route. Mm -hmm. Seattle in a route. Good for my Russell Wilson MVP prediction. Uh, anyway, moving on to Landover, Maryland, where the Washington football team is now on top of the NFC East. They would be down to the Philadelphia Eagles, 17-0 at halftime. Uh, actually, 17. they were down 17-0 at one point and 17-7 at halftime. And then uh, Ron Rivera gives a 
scheduled IV at halftime, obviously he's dealing with this cancer situation. It shows his dedication and just how, uh, you know, amazing it is that what he's going through and able to coach this team from the sideline. And Dwayne Haskins, of all people, giving a pump-up speech at halftime from what I've read. So he's developing into a leader despite his uh, play on the field not being too hot. Uh, obviously inspired them to come back on a, on a Philly team that I think is a little bit more talented. The story of this game, Matt, is the defensive line for the Washington football team is a lot better than the Philadelphia offense, especially their offensive line. Chase Young making an immediate impact, already getting double teams by halftime in this game. He is going to be a beast. Um, you pair uh, um, Chase Young alongside of Ryan Kerrigan and Montez Sweat, and then Landon Collins is still making plays. You know, this is one of the best front sevens, and they proved it. And then plus the Ron Rivera factor, they just were relentless in their pursuit of Carson Wentz. And I don't know how Carson Wentz is going to last here because he was sacked eight times. Uh, I just – this is not going to be good for Philly if they cannot keep Carson Wentz upright. And this offensive line is banged up. Uh, Wentz still, you know, 24, 42, 270 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. But the sacks, uh, it's hard to, to, to escape from all of that. But the offense itself, not a lot of production from anyone other than Dallas Goddard. They had eight for 100, 101 yards and a touchdown. And then – uh, Zach Ertz, who's been there, one of the most reliable receivers for the entire tenure of Carson Wentz's career, had a big drop late in the game that could have uh, potentially led to a, a tie game, uh, dropped a first down, and he did not have a good game at all. He had three catches for 18 yards despite scoring a touchdown. I'm worried about this Philly offense. They're banged up. Carson Wentz not going to make it through the season with that sort of effort. But uh, Washington, the front line, is the story of the game by far. Yep, couldn't say it better myself there, Randy. And then we move on to our next game. And this was a doozy. The Oakland Raiders versus the Carolina Panthers. What can you say? This might have sneakily been the game of the week. You know, 34-30 Oakland. Mm -hmm. Josh Jacobs, premier fantasy back. If you're not on that train, I suggest you get on it quickly. And CMC, Christian McCaffrey, put on a show from the running back position. Jacobs with three touchdowns all on the ground. McCaffrey, two touchdowns on the ground. Jacobs over 140 total yards offensively. And CMC right there with them with also over 140 yards total offense. I'm sorry, 130 yards total offense. Great game. What, what it really came down to me is showed me that Teddy Bridgewater can play in this league. He's not going to you know, carry a team to a bunch of offensive gaudy numbers, but he can lead you to wins. If your defense is good enough, he can get you those wins. So Oakland starts off one and all, which I think is very important with the chargers winning, which was a bit of a shock. And we'll get to that later. Mm -hmm. And also seeing the um, Denver Broncos lose. So they're not going to catch the chiefs, but a mm -hmm. good first win for the Raiders here. Very entertaining game in Charlotte, for sure, uh, especially in the post-cam era. All right, moving on. And I should say the Philly game I, I put as my survivor pick of the week. So, uh, as per usual, Randy is bouncing week one. And now we are moving on to the other game that I was contemplating because, you know, I wake up Sunday and I'm tinkering with the fantasy lineups. I'm making my final picks. And then I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should pick the Colts instead of Philly because I really don't think Jacksonville is any good. Joke's on me, Matt, because I would have been out already because the Jaguars shocked the division rivals in Jacksonville. This was the only game on Sunday with fans in attendance. Um, you know, Colts came out, you know, they're up 14 nothing, And then Gardner Minshew just decided that, you know, he wanted to remind us that he was actually pretty good at football. 
Uh, Gardner Minshew, 19 of 20, only 173 yards, but three touchdowns. And he looked really good in this game. I really liked what I saw from Gardner Minshew. Um, you know, a bunch of random names on offense, but I mean, DJ Shark didn't have the greatest game. He found the end zone. Um, uh, Keelan Cole and Leonard Chenault Jr. had three catches for, and, and a touchdown. This is a random plethora of guys that he's throwing to. It's very Jacksonville. I'm very annoyed that the Colts blew this game. But at the end of the day, you can take Phillip Rivers off of the Chargers, but you can't take the Chargers out of Phillip Rivers. And, of course, they find a way to lose this game to an awful Jaguars team. Um, Rivers on his new team in his Colts debut went 36-46 with 363 yards, one TD, and then two interceptions with some brutal drops from his receivers. Um, Rivers, you know, as far as the class of 2004 quarterbacks goes, I think Roethlisberger had the edge this week for sure. And, uh, you know, Marlon Mack goes down to this game. Naheem Himes is playing the uh, Austin Eckler role in this offense. So, you know, you're going to want to look at him as a potential fantasy replacement for um, on the waivers if he's available. And then Paris Campbell played well for them. Eight, uh, six catches, 71 yards on nine targets. But ultimately the Jacks uh, or the Colts just found a way to lose this game. And, and Gardner Minshew really did play well. So, you know, uh, early start for the Minshew mania over there in Jacksonville and a disappointing start to the season for the Colts. Matt, what is next? Packers Vikings and guess what everybody the cousins pumpkin is a pumpkin once again everyone that was riding his jock strap and saying oh cousins turn the corner he's still a garbage ass quarterback in this league you want to have Kirk Cousins be my guest he is a loser a loser that's what Kirk Cousins is in the NFL against good teams you can take Kirk Cousins away from losing situations but you can't take the loser out of Kirk Cousins he is the loser and Green Bay. I mean, I know people hate Aaron Rodgers, but what he did to the Vikings was criminal. I mean, you can't make these numbers up. People are talking about how the Vikings have a top-tier defense. Randy, my MVP of the week, player of the week, goes to Aaron Rodgers, 36 for 44, 364 yards, four touchdowns. We hate him. And he just keeps on doing this stuff. Like, I don't care how old Aaron Rodgers is. You know, Jordan Love seems like a bad pick now. I get why they did it, but they're talking about trying to rebuild. No, if you would have got this man another wide receiver, because guess what? Devontae Adams, 14 catches, 156 yards, and two touchdowns. You're targeting on one too many guys there, Aaron, but damn it. This Vikings, this Vikings team's in trouble. You know, everyone that was saying 13-3, and 12-4, get, 11-5, get out of here. It ain't happening. What I saw from the Vikings was a team that's made to lose. As uh, Stephen A. Smith would say, he's a bad man, and he's still still sticking around. So Packers are going to be a juggernaut again for sure. Uh, moving on to one of the most disappointing uh, performances of the week and the team that I've been hyping up all, all offseason, the Browns lay an absolute egg in Baltimore. They get walloped by the Ravens 38-6, uh, to six. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't close at all at any given point in this game. And the Browns did score a touchdown in the first quarter, and that would be it. The Ravens would just roll after that. Lamar Jackson, after his uh, MVP campaign, rolling once again, 20 to 25, 275 yards, and three touchdowns on the, in the air. He also had seven carries for 45 yards rushing. So Lamar Jackson picking up right where he left off. Um, you know, their rushing attack is interesting now because they added another layer in J.K. Dobbins. So Mark Ingram still had the most carries with 10. Didn't even crack 30 yards, however. J.K. Dobbins, seven, yard, uh, seven carries, 22 yards with two touchdown runs. And he had a great burst on both of those touchdown runs. He looked really explosive. But to me, 
we knew what the Ravens are. The Ravens are one of the best rosters in the NFL. They're the second best team in the NFL, if you ask me. Uh, but to me, the story is the Browns because I, I have been hyping up the Browns all off season, saying that they have a great roster and they are ready to compete. And yet they lay this garbage egg. And I'm so disappointed. Baker Mayfield, 21 to 39, 189 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Uh, I mean, the rushing attacks disappointing, but, you know, kind of effective. Kareem Hunt, 13 carries, 72 yards. Nick Chubb, 10 carries for 60 yards. Um, and then the receiving core, Odell, my boy, had 10, 10 targets, only three catches for 22 yards, had a couple awful drops. I don't know what's going on there. Jarvis Landry had five for 61. Joku had the only touchdown for the Browns. Cooper, my boy, I've been saying how he's going to affect the offense so much, only two catches, 15 yards, and then the Browns defense, just a mess. Uh, I'm, I'm so disappointed in the Browns, but the Ravens are who we thought they were, and maybe the Browns just aren't what I thought they were especially. Yep, jumping to a team that we kind of had a sneaking suspicion would still be kind of in the hunt this year, the New England Patriots versus the Miami Dolphins. New England comes away with a 21-11 win. Um, we talk about Cam going to New England and being rejuvenated. I didn't see a rejuvenated quarterback, but I saw Bill Belichick have a new toy and deploy him unmercifully on these Miami Dolphins. Cam finished 15 for 19, 155 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Not bad for a game manager at this point, but he did have 15 carries, Randy. 15 carries for your starting quarterback with 75 mm -hmm. yards and two touchdowns, followed by Sonny Michelle with 10 carries, 37 yards, and a touchdown. And I think it's time to pop the Fitzmagic balloon early this year. 20 for 30, 191 yards, three picks. Granted, it's against Bill Belichick. Belichick still knows how to call a defense. Cameras are not, playbooks are not. You know, you tip your hat to Wild Bill here, and man, I got—I have a feeling I'm surprised Tua didn't get any action in this game with how mightily they struggled offensively here. I, I think Tua time is going to be coming soon, but good, solid win for the Patriots. Yeah, to uh, to New Orleans now, where uh, it's the third year in a row where I completely underestimate the New Orleans Saints. Uh, and, and they kind of just humble me week one and tell me that they are still one of the best teams in the, in the actual football league. Um, they welcome in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady's debut without the uh, New England Patriots, obviously, but with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he, and I'm going to be completely honest with you, he looked old. And it's it's not not the ideal start to the season that I thought he was going to have. Uh, he's 23-36 for 239 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. And the Bucks looked like that they were not well coached. They had major disciplinary issues they had penalty problems they had some drops uh tom made some bad mistakes he threw a brutal pick six to janoris jenkins where the ball didn't look like it had the most zip on it ever um i'm worried about uh that offense a little bit if brady can't perform uh some of those throws but i'm going to give a lot of credit to the saints because uh even with a hobbled mike thomas which we'll talk about only three catches for 17 yards the the combination of Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray played well, despite Kamara only have 16 yards rushing. Kamara had 51 yards receiving. He had two touchdowns. And Latavius Murray had 15 carries for almost 50 yards. Um, but the Saints defense really put the pressure on Tom Brady all day long. It was relentless. And they only had three sacks. But if you watch the game tape, you know, you're looking at guys like um, Cameron Jordan, who's been established, obviously, for a long time. Uh, and then the rest of that defensive line with the, their secondary is really good. It might be the best secondary in football, really just putting the clamps on this high, potentially high-powered Tampa Bay offense, which they limited uh, Chris Godwin to 6 for 79. They, uh, Scotty Miller, 5 for 73. O.J. Howard, 4 for 36. 
and I'm looking at the receiving. Gronk, two for 11. Where you at, bro? And then uh, Mike Evans, one, one catch for two yards. That's probably the most alarming thing to me, and that went for the touchdown. But uh, uh, he had injury issues coming in, but big-time issues there. Uh, Ronald Jones led the way rushing for Tampa, 17 carries, 66 yards. Leonard Fournette only had five carries, so, I mean, they're still easing him into the process. But uh, not an ideal start for Tampa, and I'm just – I'm a little concerned about what I saw. Uh, final score, 34-23, to 23, wasn't that close. Saints got a touchdown late, called back where this game would have been an even bigger blowout. Yeah, it was a interesting game for that one. Now we jump to the Chargers and the Cincinnati Bungles. Um, I'll, I'll say this about the Bengals. You know, not bad showing from Joe Burrow. I thought he played pretty well for a rookie, and we take a look at his stat line. Um, in the loss, they lost 16-13. to 13. Burrow completed 23 of 36 passes for 193 yards and one interception. Um, you know, not bad for a rookie. You know, I thought he played okay for his first NFL game. Joe Mixon, 19 carries, 69 yards, not going to get it done. Joe Burrow did get a touchdown on the ground. We're happy for Joe. Yay. Chargers, on the other hand, put up 16 points, surprisingly enough. Tyrod Taylor, 16 for 30, 208 yards. Really, the guy that did the damage on the ground was Joshua Kelly with 12 carries, 60 mm -hmm. yards, and one touchdown. So, overall, nice win for the Chargers. Mm -hmm. You can't complain too bad. So you go into week two, one and all for San Diego, or I'm sorry, the Los Angeles Chargers. <laughs> uh, shout out to Fat Randy faking an injury after missing a field goal late in that game as well. Uh, bad name for all the Randys out there, so do better. Um, before we get to our guest, who looks like he's joining us now, but I want to talk quickly about bang, bang, Niner gang goes down to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Kyler Murray looked real good in his debut of his second season, 26 of 40, 230 yards, one touchdown, one pick, but also on the ground, 13 carries, 91 yards, killed the Niners with his legs all day long. DeAndre Hopkins, no new team, not a big deal at all. 14 catches, 151 yards. Guy is an absolute beast. And he got tackled at the one yard line and a touchdown late. I mean, they're, they're going to love having DeAndre Hopkins all year round. And I'm going to be excited to watch because it looked like it was, it's going to be really special. Kenyon Drake, 16 carries, 60 yards on the ground. Chase Edmonds, uh, 26 yards behind him. Jimmy G, struggled. Not good. 19 carries, 19 for 33, 259 yards, two touchdowns, uh, sacked three times. I mean, this, this team's going to go as far as the rushing attack takes them. Uh, it's going to have to be Mostert. It's going to have to be McKinnon and Coleman. Uh, Mostert had not, uh, 15 carries for 56 yards. He also had a long touchdown reception, hit four catches for 95 yards. The story of this game, and we'll talk about it in the injury segment, but George Kittle left this game because of a high throw to, by, from Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, and the future for, Jimmy, for, for George Kittle is questionable, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So the 49ers coming off of that Super Bowl run, sure looking like a hangover to me, but the Cardinals look impressive nonetheless. But Matt, it is time now for our game of the week, and we welcome in our resident Detroit Lions fan, host of the Step Back Over in Ball is Life. He is missing a playoff game at the moment to join us to talk about the Detroit Lions. Leon, how are you doing, my friend? Um... Doing pretty well, uh, considering the circumstances. Uh, I'd like to extend the olive branch out to Matt, you know, and uh, you, Randy. It was, it was brutal to watch, but, you know, I thank you for the uh, invite. Leon, we are a man of our words here, and we honestly, you know what, I, I'm not going to lie, I was nervous, but I have something for you. Like, when 
when I invite you, I want to make you feel special. I want to make you feel welcomed here. And I feel like there's no way to express my gratitude for you joining the show than playing a song for you. So please give us a moment, everyone at home, and just tune in and listen for just about a minute here. Okay, that's enough of that 1930 song. So anyway, time to get serious here. You know, watching the game, Leon, my heart literally broke for you on two different occasions. One, the Stafford pick. That, that, that was typical Stafford throwing a bad interception. And then the swift drop in the end zone. I remember I saw the score 23 to 6. I was just like this. This is bad. This is bad. We got Mitch and we're done. We're screwed. But you know what? I love Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia for coach of the year, gifting the Bears wins, letting Mitch Trubisky. And this is the thing, Leon, you should be really pissed at Patricia because this is the only reason I picked the Bears so confidently is because this idiot has seen Mitch four times. And Mitch has lit that man coverage up every single time he's played him. You're up by 17 points. You refuse to play cover three or cover two, which is a staple of leading in the fourth quarter. And you let Mitch trash can Trubisky come back and just torch you. Leon, the floor is yours. Um, well, as a Lions fan, I, you know, I go through every year figuring out which way they're going to lose a game. And every year they find new ways to do it to me. And this was, this was pretty epic. Cornerbacks uh, were hurt. Trubisky killed the third and fourth stringers. You, you would have thought they would have went to a zone to, to disguise their, their weaknesses. But when uh, Prater missed a field goal, I knew it was the beginning of the end. Uh, missed field goal, Jimmy Graham showed life. Uh, and then when they get the ball back under two minutes, I mean, of all things, you, you don't want to get beat over the top. And what's the first play that happens? You get beat over the fucking top. Uh, Craig Stafford, uh, he's a two minute genius. I don't know why they don't, uh, try this play calling, uh, uh, two-minute play call throughout the game. But the drop touchdown pass was horrendous. The play calling was horrendous. And here I am, i got to listen to a 1930s song uh, as punishment. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and for people that don't understand, I, I guess – when we see the Lions play, and, and when I look at the tape, and the coach's tape's not out yet, which I'm very upset about, but you could see the Lions' stupidity in this game was shown in the fourth quarter. You can't take away the middle of the field when you're up by 17 points. Who gives a crap about the middle of the field? You don't want to get beat over the top at all. And the Bears routinely made these deep middle throws, these deep sideline throws, just textbook. Trubisky, 8 for 10 in the fourth quarter, 89 yards, three touchdowns. That, that is unreal. The, the last pass was an absolute dime, but it should have never been that way. You should have had a safety roll over the top, 
cover two, cover three, however you need to scheme it, but you give them the middle of the field. You make them go yards to take up clock time. But no, there's Patricia calling his man coverage defense, single high safety, where one safety is dropping back to cover the deep part of the field. And then you go, man, you put your strong safety in the box to take away anything in the middle and any rushing attack when you're up by 17 damn points. Who cares if they run the football? I mean, it's like playing football against yeah. a grade schooler here. It's so beyond stupid. And credit to the Bears for taking this one. You know, at the end of the day, the Bears still had to make these plays. But damn it, the Lions make it too easy. Like, if Trubisky did this to you, God help you if you play single high safety on Aaron Rodgers after what he just did to the Vikings. Yeah, there was a few turning points where I knew it was going to end. Well, as I said, one was the field goal, which I didn't have a problem with going up six. It would have been up 16 at the time. And Prater is a, usually a money kicker from that distance, so I didn't have an issue with that. Not getting a stop on third and 10 on their side of the field, which they absolutely would have punted. Uh, I think it was a little bit over seven minutes ago. And then getting the fourth and one on an outside sweep at like the 10-yard line. Uh, so I think they, that was this Mims touchdown, the Wims touchdown. Yep, the, the sweet, sweet sideline touchdown pass. I mean, Trubisky made three good throws all day, and it was off a touchdown. So. No, 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 because that Miller pass deep down the middle was pretty <laughs> sweet. Like, I, I give Anthony Miller a lot of credit towards the end of the third quarter. You should rewatch that one. I did, and Miller also made a one-handed catch with uh, on the sideline to uh, bail out Trubisky, and, and Robinson made a nice diving catch, uh, two hands, but otherwise Trubisky was god-awful for three quarters. Oh, yeah, no, undoubtedly. And, I mean, I'll get into that probably later on and why his mechanics fail him in the first three quarters and the fourth quarter he turns it on. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think there's a lot of concern that Bears fans need to have, but also a little bit of hope. Hopefully it's a springboard game. But I, I got to call out Khalil Mack and this Bears defense this game to, to let the Lions – and they do have a decent offensive line. But, shit, you let AP, 100-year-old Adrian Peterson, run all over your ass – and it, it wasn't pretty and it wasn't good for the Bears defense, but you pay Khalil Mack $26 million a year, and I didn't notice him all game. I, I didn't see his number all that often. I, I think it got to the point where they even single cover, you know, they put one blocker on him, and he just, you know, that's the problem for me. Danny Trevathan looked old and slow. You re-signed him and let Nick Kikowski go to Oakland or Las Vegas. I mean, this was the game that the Lions could have made a statement. And I felt the same way about the Bears. I felt the Bears needed to come out. And if you're going to put yourself on that perch with the Green Bay Packers, you need to come out and just beat the living bejesus out of the Lions. But they didn't do it. If the the Lions could have held on to this one and tacked on more points, it would have been a huge statement win for the Lions because everything that we criticized them for was gone in the first three quarters. You know, Stafford looked pretty efficient. The running game was good. The offensive line was blocking. The defense looked pretty good. Like, it looked like a different Lions team until the fourth quarter. Yeah, New Year, same old song. Uh, I mean, Stafford at one point completed – nine or 10 passes in a row. And, you know, and I go back to the play calling. We got him rolling out to the right for God knows what reason. And he's running RPOs. This is one of the, one of the elite pocket passes in the league. And you have him running RPOs. I mean, it is mind boggling. Um, their tempo sometimes is awful. 
and uh, it, it just makes no sense. But he, I definitely felt the loss of uh, Kenny Galladay in this one. But uh, credit to the Bears secondary, Jalen Johnson. I mean, he made a hell of a play on the last play of the game because he was he was wide open in the corner. He made a pretty nice play. Yeah, the the players of the game on the Bears' side is easily Anthony Miller and Jalen Johnson. I, I think those two stood out above all else. I know people will credit Mitch with those three touchdown passes, but really Anthony Miller made some clutch catches to save Mitch's ass quite a few times. Um, and then Jalen Johnson defensively just looked really, really good. He kind of had his moments where you expect from a rookie, but this is why I thought Jalen Johnson should have been the second cornerback drafted. And to also – elaborate on the Lions defensive woes I mean when the number one cornerback in the draft Jeffrey Okuda is out before the game even starts and then Desmond Trufant gets hurt in the game and I forget the other cornerback who also got hurt later in the second half but literally it was just picking apart you know practice squad defensive backs that had no business being out there it should have happened earlier but you know it's just I can't get over what the Lions could be with a different coach. And instead, we're stuck watching Matt Patricia derail it. And like you said, running an RPO with Matthew Stafford, if you had any leadership at the head coach position, um, that offensive coordinator would got his ass chewed out immediately for even thinking about that. Because Stafford gets hurt for the year, you guys are done anyway. So, But with Patricia, you're probably done anyway. Yeah, m- most definitely. And uh... – you know, it's it, it just mind-boggling to see. I'm, I'm intrigued to see. I hope this was an anomaly. Um, we're watching Green – I think we have Green Bay next week. But, uh, you know, watching Rodgers from this week, uh, you know, and with the corner situation, it just might be owing too real fast. Uh, as someone not invested in the game, I just want to point out the, that throw Trubisky made to Anthony Miller uh, for the game winner was one of the more ridiculous throws you're going to see. I, I don't think that he played well at all, really. I think he had a good fourth quarter. We had three touchdown passes, obviously. But that last throw to Miller was, was might might have been the throw of the week uh, from any quarterback. Um, it, was, it was a dime. It really was. Uh, but I want to talk about the Lions real quick. Uh, starting off your season by blowing a three-touchdown lead in the fourth quarter is not ideal. However... I just want to talk about the play that should have swung the game, which is a, a dime from Stafford to DeAndre Swift uh, in the front corner of the end zone. All he has to do is catch it and fall backwards. And when he tried to turn, the ball falls right out of his hands. And I, I know he's going to get a lot of crap for it, but I want to say this. He's a rookie running back, not known for his hands. So I kind of blame the coaching staff for this too, that that is the play that you have designed. You couldn't have had put a different player in that situation to succeed. Leal, I don't know what you think about that, but I kind of put that on the coaching staff. They have four running backs on the roster. One of them, Peterson, another carry on Johnson. Johnson isn't really known for his hands either. Uh, Mm -hmm. Peterson was out to play before, you know, he's a veteran in the game. You know what you're going to get out of him. It's, I mean, you, like I say, you just find new ways to lose. Oh. Yeah, it's not even, I'm sorry, Randy, to cut you off real quick, but just say this. I mean, it should have never been put in that spot anyway. The fact that you guys had to drive 
with one minute left in the fourth quarter to win a game when you were up by three touchdowns. I mean, defensively, that's a massive failure. And granted, you had three cornerbacks out, but that's when you scheme a win. Like, all you have to do is sit back in zone. The one defense that Trubisky struggles with so much in the NFL is trying to pick apart a zone defense. He's proven that he can't do it for the majority of his career. And, you know, Matt Patricia sticks with zone. And I, But, yeah. Yeah, I, I just wonder how the narrative would have changed as far as, well, you go from a uh, fourth quarter collapse to a epic comeback. Would it be more on Stafford's ability to lead a team to a comeback or the, or the Bears' defense really just coming, uh, becoming undone? Well, I, I think you'd have to give a lot of credit to Stafford still because the secondary is still pretty good with Kyle Fuller, Jalen Johnson, Eddie Jackson, Eddie Jackson, and Tayshawn Gibson. So the, the throws that Stafford would probably make against that would get would get him a lot of credit. But that front seven for the Bears played about – one of the worst games I've seen them play healthy in a long time. Granted, Eddie Goldman's out, but he's not a premier pass rusher anyway. And I know you signed Robert Quinn, but if, if you need Robert Quinn to elevate this defense, that's more of an indictment on your defense than anything else. So I, I would say it's equal parts. Stafford gets credit. Bears defense gets blame. Yeah, it, it's really unfortunate because it gave you guys way too much hope in it than it should have. I was actually disappointed in the Bears defense, Matt, after you hyping them up all offseason, uh, especially the run defense, uh, letting Adrian Peterson gas you for almost 100 yards. Uh, I expect more from the Bears B, but, uh, you know, I mean, they still got the job done at the end of the day, but you're going to want to see more, especially from that pass rush. The, the tackling was bad. I, I probably counted probably about 20 missed tackles on the Bears defense on AP alone, which, I mean, that, that's what AP is known for in his career. He runs with power. He – it's not like he's elusive, but he's so hard to bring down. That's what creates those missed mm -hmm. tackles. But I, I, I got to see what they come back with for week two. I, I do think preseason is important for this reason. Without getting that action in, getting your body conditioned to hit, it, it's hard to just jump right into it. And I know people say, you know, well, practicing, there's going to be, you don't go full speed like that in practice at all. So I think that's the one thing I probably didn't account for for week one was just how bad the tackling could be. And through the Sunday early games, I mean, the tackling was pretty shitty. I, I didn't find the tackling all that impressive. So week two, we may see a little, a, a little bit uptick in the defense ability. Uh, with that said about the tackling, I will say, Leon, despite the, uh, the heartbreak uh, for you, I think the Lions had one of the best highlights of the weekend with Marvin Jones absolutely trucking uh, a Bears secondary player, which is cool to see a wide receiver, uh, especially Marvin Jones isn't the biggest guy ever, but completely laid the smackdown on that play, which is, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah, that, that was pretty nice. Um, you know, and like you say, Marvin Jones is really not the biggest guy. So uh, that was the only highlight that I, I could take away from it. <laughs> it was Jalen Johnson, guys. You buried the lead, the rookie cornerback, Jalen Johnson. That was his welcome to the NFL moment. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful for it because I still like to see some hitting in football at the end of the day. Uh, Leon, uh, before we say goodbye, I just want to get your overall thoughts. You know, what are, what are the expectations from the, uh, for the Lions for the rest of the year for you? Um, you know, it, it's so hard to say because, you know, if you look at the team through three quarters, and I know I, I 
it comes off as a joke, but I really think they could be a top five offensive team if Galladay is in there. Hawkinson looked really good. Um, mm-hmm. And the tight end spot has always been a weakness of a team. If they can get Hawkinson and, and Peterson uh, on limited touches going, I mean, the sky's the limit because the offensive line looks pretty good. It's just a matter of holding a lead. So I, I know I said over 10 or 11 wins, but, you know, it all depends on his coaching staff. Between five and six wins, they could cost you, which I also didn't know. They, they blew seven leads last year. Uh, and 18 of them since the beginning of – no, 12 of them since the beginning of uh, 2018. Yep, 12. So – uh, it, it's a hit or miss with this team, but I, I'm going to remain confident. Uh, I'll see how they, uh, I'll see how they kill me next week. Yeah, Hi, Leon. I, yep. Uh, just, uh, just some words of encouragement for Leon to go. Just, just hope that they fire Patricia early in the season. I mean, that would be the big takeaway. Get him out of Detroit because there are good players there. T.J. Hawkinson's really good. The center, um, I think it's Agnew or Agnor. I can't. I can't remember his name. He looked really good. Lions offensive line looked good. Tight ends a good position. Yeah. AP looks pretty. I mean, why he's not a bear? Who knows? They they can't even sign fucking Allen Robinson at this point. But you know, the, the Lions. I see hope there. There's stuff there. You just need better coaching. Agreed. Oh. All right, Leon, uh, you got uh, NBA playoff games tonight with the Heat and the Celtics. Uh, I mean, you have to step back yep. tomorrow, right? Go ahead and plug that show for us. Yeah, you know, we got the Heat-Celtics game one going on tonight. We also got another uh, game seven with the Nuggets and the Clippers uh, going on tonight. That's what the fourth uh, game seven of these playoffs. I uh, catch just tomorrow over in Boa's life uh, with my man uh, Jacob Moses. And uh, going to have some special guests. We found some time for uh, Jake Schwartz and his buddies over at Pod Jobbers. Um, we're going to have a little crossover. Um, self-proclaimed Heat Celtics fan. We'll finally get an answer to that. And uh, go over these, uh, go over game seven from tonight and uh, plug the WNBA playoffs as they start tonight as well. So catch us tomorrow night at eight. Yeah, if you haven't watched the Step Back, go ahead and, and join Baller's Life and check that out. You guys do a great job, and it's always a pleasure to get to join you guys and talk about some basketball, and I love watching you guys each week. So, uh, Leon, it is a pleasure to talk to you on our football show, The Audible, and I'm sorry about your Lions, but you're a great sport. Thanks for coming on with us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Randy. Take care. All right, that, that is uh, Step Back host Leon Tompkins joining us for the show. Um, so we're going to move on now. Um, to our injury segment, which before we came live here, Matt, we had some brutal injury news for the Saints. Michael Thomas has a high ankle sprain, and it is worse than they originally suspected it was. Um, now, apparently, he's expected to miss several weeks. This is a uh, – I mean, they they have uh, <laughs> the shell of uh, Emmanuel Sanders and, George, you know, you know, Cook at tight end, and you got Camara, but, you know, Michael Thomas is as important to an offense as any wide receiver, right? Yeah, this is incredibly brutal for this team. Losing Michael Thomas when your quarterback depends on him so much. I mean, I think he was targeted the most last year with 187 targets last year. 
So mm -hmm. you're talking about a massive volume of passes that goes his direction. Th th this is probably the most significant loss if it's extended in the NFL this week. I don't know how it gets any worse than this for him. I mean, this, this, this one, this injury is bad. Yeah, it's a deep team, but the offense I worry about without Michael Thomas. Uh, as much as I am not the biggest fan of Michael Thomas, his production cannot be denied. So, you know, if any team can overcome this sort of thing, it seems like the Saints are fit to do so. Um, so we'll see how long he's going to miss. It's looking like six weeks. A high ankle sprain is nothing to mess with, um, as Drake would say. So uh, <laughs> you're going to have to be careful with that uh, in New Orleans. The other big uh, injury news, if you ask me, the other biggest name is George Kittle, uh, who, you know, we both agree is one of the best players in the entire NFL uh, Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball a little too high on a, on a pass to the flat, and then Jimmy and then uh, George Kittle landed wrong. It looked like a, a bad knee injury to begin with. This is how Odell Beckham Jr. shattered his ankle on the Giants. It was an overthrow, him jumping up, getting undercut, same kind of thing. They say it's just a knee sprain, and he is questionable for this week against the Jets, but it's still something to monitor for the 49ers. This will be catastrophic for the Niners. Like I know they just signed Mohamed Sanu um, moments ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, Sanu is what? Like, we haven't really been that impressed with Sanu outside of that one season with, you know, they had Julio Jones and all those weapons in Atlanta. I'm just not – I'm not a huge fan of this entire situation when it comes to what the 49ers can do without George Kittle. He makes things so viable with this offense with play-action passes, run blocking. He, he's irreplaceable. This is the one guy – you can't live without. Is there a timetable on his return? Well, they say he's questionable for this week. So, um, you know, they, he might not miss any games. I mean, because it is the Jets and, you know, we can talk about the quality of opponent, but, you know, I could see them having him rest this week just so it doesn't get any worse against the Jets. Yeah, the, the Jets will probably lose this game easily. They'll find a way to lose this one. So I, if, I, if I were the Niners, I'd rest them. But, man, if they lose to the Jets and they go down 0-2, yeah. your prediction along with our friend Corey Deckers is going to look pretty <laughs> pretty fortuitous. Yeah, that's a great word. And it is a, a Super Bowl hangover very real looking like it, uh, in San Francisco because not a like what I saw from Jimmy G at all. We got three guys done for the year, unfortunately. Marlon Mack tears his Achilles. And then we have a pair of ACL injuries. And Lane Taylor, the offensive right guard for the Packers, who's been a great veteran for them for a long time now. Um, and Blake Jarwin tears his ACL as well. What do you think of those three injuries and their impact? Jarwin hurts Dallas just because it's a weapon and a tight end position that they're not very deep at to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um you, you know, I, I, I'd say Jarwin's probably the biggest one. I and the Colts running back situation's weird. You would expect they would utilize Jonathan Taylor more, but I, I don't know, man. This Colts team, it not as impressive as I thought they would be. But I still go Blake Jarwin's probably the most significant injury out of that bunch. I mean, underrated because it's an offensive lineman. I worry about any, especially with a good offensive lineman losing a piece like Lane Taylor, especially at the right side of that line where they run so much power. Uh, with with Aaron Jones and the rest of the running back crew, um, and he's been the, he's like the fourth longest tenure Packer. So I mean he's an important part of that team. But uh, you know Marlon Mack, they have a, a big running back room as is, and Naheem Hines kind of got the most play there. So I don't think it's going to hurt the Colts all that much. But he was the injury that probably looked the worst on the field. He landed and it popped and it looked like a non-contact. So you know I, I feel for Marlon Mack because those things always are 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 bad on the on the on the especially when you watch the replays especially so. 
you know, hopefully Marlon Mack can come back and play because Achilles is no joke. Uh, and then in the late game last night, Philip Lindsay left the game with a turf toe situation. I know people are like, oh, turf toe, but uh, I don't never had a turf toe, but everyone says it's more legit than it sounds. This could be, this could you know, limit Lindsay for like the rest of the month, probably. Yeah, you don't want turf toe. It's a series of muscles and tendons that are not in a good spot, not in a good situation. It's hard to get that explosion off that foot. Um, for Lindsay being a running back, I, I would probably say at least a month is what they're looking at. Um, I, I'm, I would almost bet he's getting an MRI done on that turf toe as we speak just to see the significance of it because it's, I mean, you tear a tendon in that toe, it is, you're done for the year. It's a serious injury. Causes a lot yep. of problems. So it's a good thing they signed Melvin Gordon in Denver because he's going to be the primary guy now moving forward. All right. We have a game here on Thursday Night Football, and that's why we do these shows on Tuesday as well. It is the battle of the 0-1 teams from Ohio, the Cincinnati Bengals, traveling to the dog pound in Cleveland, despite that no fans regardless. So that's not going to have much of an impact. Um, but we're going to preview this game. It's going to be Thursday at 820 on NFL Network. Um you know, it's kind of a different feel for both of these teams coming into this game because you kind of like what you saw from the Bengals. They were competitive. The rookie quarterback looked pretty good. Um, the Bengals, uh, I didn't have high expectations for at all. So the fact they hung around in that game, they probably should have won that game. They had that missed field goal at the end of the game by Randy Bullock, who proceeded to say that he had a pulled hammy on his left uh, and his right leg, but then grabbed his left leg. So there's some <laughs> some faking going on there. It's a uh, uh, that was embarrassing, but um, they also kind of got hosed on the AJ Green call. But at the same time, he did push off. It was a right call at the end of that game, so I don't. But like, I don't think they got hosed. That's not really the right way to say it. But uh, a controversial, I guess I should say, call at the end of the game for AJ Green. But you have to like what you know uh, saw from the Bengals coming into this game, and the Browns is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, what are some things that you're looking for in this game, Matt? I got to see the Browns bounce back. I mean, that's all there is to it. I, I don't know if OBJ is long for the Browns. So it, it goes back to like just so much distractions with OBJ. And it's not – I don't want to pin it all on him because I don't think all of it's fair. But it's like, man, when does it stop? Baker's got to stop – you know, these commercials are getting ridiculous because you see them on, and then you see him not show up for the game. It's just like, dude – you know, I get it that you did the commercials during the off season, but shit, this is bad. This is getting to the point where, you know, you start talking about being a bust because it's right up there. This is his third year now. It's time to put up or shut up. And yeah. you can't keep on seeing him not show up. I don't care if it's against the Ravens. The same thing with Sam Darnold. I don't care if it was against the Bills. It's time to be, you know, that franchise elite quarterback that you were drafted with those first few picks. We saw Mitch Trubisky. They brought in Nick Foles, which, you know, a lot of people considered to be a joke. You know, his time in Chicago is probably up after this year. But I, I got to see Baker show up. And I got to see Jarvis Landry, Kareem Hunt, Joe Mixon, all these guys. It's great. You have all this hype. It's been two years in a row now. It's against the freaking Bengals. It's time to put, you know, stomp a mud hole in them. Win big. Uh, I do think, in, if anything, in his career, he does own the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals have been piss poor in his career, so I think that's not the most impressive thing. But if there's any game to get right on, it's this one. Um, the Browns are five-and-a-half-point favorites, which kind of surprised me based on what happened in week one. But I need to see Baker Mayfield play well, like you said. This team is going to go as far as Baker Mayfield takes them. I know how talented they are. I know they are capable. But I also want to see Kevin Stefanski help Baker Mayfield because we blamed – 
Freddie Kitchens so much on the lack of success for this offense, and I saw a lot of those same issues for this team. So, Stefanski, I need to see some more from you, and I need to see some more from Baker Mayfield. I know Odell Beckham Jr. is a polarizing figure in the NFL. He's always going to draw media attention. Um, but a lot of the stuff for me is just he's not playing well. He had 10 targets. He had a couple bad drops. If Baker plays better, the offense will play better. Ultimately, Odell will play better. Before we came on, Odell is in the uh, on the block. The Browns are looking to trade Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, already, which, I mean, it, it's not the most surprising thing ever, I don't think. But I don't know what they can get for him. But I think they should try to make him work. But uh, nonetheless, this is our matchup in week two, the AFC North matchup. Matt, I want to get your game prediction for this. Yeah, I'm going to go the – boy, I'm going to take the Browns 27, the Bengals 10. Okay. I'm going to go with an ugly game here because of both of these teams I do not trust, but I'm going to go Browns 22, Bengals 16. Uh, I think we got a lot of field goals, a lot of ugly football in this game for sure. Uh, all right. So now we are going to welcome in our fantasy guru here. I'm going to give him a moment to join our show, but I don't know about you, Matt. It was a brutal week one for fantasy for me. I am in six leagues. I went one and five and I got walloped by a bunch of teams. I ended up being the recipient of the top scorer and, three leagues, uh, which is not fun, but, um, you know, the future is bright. I think I still have a good core in all of these teams, but here he is, Felipe Melicio. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. I got to be quiet because the baby's sleeping. Sorry. <laughs> Can you hear me? I respect you coming on here and pulling the double duty with uh, being a dad, and then you're kind of being a babysitter for us in this fantasy segment. Uh, he said duty. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for having me, <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I, I want to say thank you uh, again for um, inspiring me to do the fantasy football thing this year. Uh, after listening to your show a couple of Tuesdays ago, I was like, I was ready to run through a wall and just get my uh, rankings going. But I'm like, no, no, I don't want to do it. But then I heard your show again. And I just like, thought to myself, you know what, screw it. I want to do it. I'm going to do fantasy football against my will. And, and, uh, a couple of days later, I'm in a fantasy league with Matt Bushnell uh, against all odds, and and I, I and it's your it's your guys's fault, or actually, you guys should take credit for that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you're welcome. I mean, we inspire people here. We are the inspiration of change, Felipe. That's what we do here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I love it. But I love that I got someone to join fantasy football, and maybe someone who may not have played and, and is deciding to play because I think fantasy football. Uh, makes football more watchable and more enjoyable. So welcome back, my friend, and I'm, we're happy to have you back. Yeah, interesting you mentioned that um, because the, I think the reason I stopped was because I, I found fantasy football so unbearable. And now you're talking to a guy who who uh, goes out of his way in the middle of freaking winter and just all he does is root players for baseball, fantasy baseball season, right? But for me to do the same thing for fantasy football, it's like beneath me. So, yeah, I, I – <laughs> And, and not just that, but everything about fantasy football, it was back in uh, – the last time I played was in 2018. Everything about it just frustrated me to no end, right? So, uh, the way, like right now, the waiver wire order, I got to go through that later tonight. Like, but this year, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to take a more um, zen-like approach uh, with my fantasy team this year I, I, uh, and uh, just see where it takes me because I, I've been known to take it a little too seriously. I've been known to be a sore loser, a bad sport, but uh, – no, this year I'm going to, for fantasy football purposes, I'm just going to roll with the punches and see what happens. Yeah. And it's all luck. Go <laughs> ahead, Matt. 
Oh, no, I was going to say, in, in our Football Life League, obviously, our 12-team league here, Felipe and I matched up week one, go figure, the odds of it, right? So, you know, it, it was an interesting matchup because I felt like there was a lot of back and forth, and I never felt comfortable, even with St. Quan going for me and Juju going for you last night, Felipe. And it just felt like all that momentum when Schuster caught that first touchdown pass, I'm sitting there, I'm like, shit, Felipe's going to beat me this week. And then Schuster caught that second touchdown pass. And I'm like, Oh shit, this is bad because I was counting on Cortland Sutton to play last night. And obviously I kept him in the lineup. I'm like, please play, please play. Cause I felt Sutton could win the game and he didn't, but Barkley got enough garbage yards to slightly put me over the top, but it was a nail biter. Yeah, and the big difference was uh, I watched that second half. For, I, normally, you wouldn't catch me dead watching a Giants game this year because it's so boring. <laughs> but I have well, – I mean, Randy brought it up. Like, fantasy – this is what fantasy football does is it makes you watch games you normally don't watch. And I was mm-hmm. vested fully in Evan Ingram, and I'm just watching the game, and, I, and I'm only paying attention to him. And, boy, was he overmatched last night. Oh, that poor guy. Completely overmatched against the Steelers last night. It's probably the worst game he's played uh, maybe in his career. I haven't seen him look that lost before. Obviously, he's not the strongest blocker, but he is typically a playmaker nonetheless, which is why you do pick him in fantasy. I'm sure you took him uh, relatively high. I mean, he's gone in the top six rounds in most leagues, but he was. Uh, uh, he's my, back- uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to point out to everybody, he was my second tight end, and he's my primary flex position coming into week one. Okay. That's how much I love the guy. Yeah, I don't hate that move, but, uh, I mean, he should have an important role in the Giants. He's got great hands. He's so fast. He is typically a playmaker when he's on the field, but he just did not play well at all for you. And I, in the, in the, the game thread in football like yesterday, I found it funny because the whole point of fantasy, and for me, I love watching all the games. I love watching Red Zone. It's a chance to be invested in teams and players that you would have no idea about or even care <laughs> to give two shits about. But you're here watching the Giants game late and the game's over with, but you're like getting mad every time they throw to Saquon and not to Evan Ingram, and you're hoping they- – Saquon doesn't end up in the end zone. You're hoping for a garbage time touchdown from Evan Ingram. That's what fantasy football is all about, and I love it. And it was there last night. It was there. They were in the red zone uh, at the 10-yard line, I believe, maybe even the 7 And I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, now go jump go up and get it, like the way Jimmy Graham used to do it back when he was uh, he had two healthy kneecaps and, and not miss jumping yeah. balls from Mitch Trubisky on Sunday. But no, it was there for him. He was there for the taking, and I'm like, why? And there's a couple of things I saw uh, in that game, if I may. Uh, Evan Ingram, uh, tweener, right? He's uh, too slow to create separation against a really good Steelers defense, the defensive backs, I guess. I, didn't, I, I don't know if the Steelers are good or not. They, they looked pretty damn good last night against Evan Ingram. And then he's just getting uh, mauled by the bigger linebackers. And, and then they inexplicably put him uh, to help block uh, for, to give Daniel Jones more time. And there's no chance in hell he's blocking anybody because he's just getting run over by this, these Steelers uh, defensive players and not picking up the right blitz package. And, and like, I'm looking at myself at, at, this, at my team, and I'm looking at Evan Ingram, and I'm thinking to myself, what that I just invest in. This guy does not look like the player I imagine he could be. I'm hoping it's just an anomaly because, you know, this is, that's another reason I hate fantasy football because everything is an anomaly until it's not, right? Until it's too late and then you're like, the season's over because you, you waited too long. Um, as opposed to baseball where you can, you know, give it another week, give it another week, give it another week because it's a long season. You know, you want that large sample size. In football, you got to kind of make you got to make those split-second decisions relatively to baseball. You got to make those split-second decisions because yeah. 
I don't want – I'm 0-1 now. And next week – I don't know who I'm playing next week, but the last thing you want to be is 0-2, even in fantasy football, because it's really hard to make that uh, climb to uh, 500 again and much less into the playoffs. So, no, it's – um, but it's okay, you know. I uh, I like I like my team. I like my chances. Uh, I like my prospects for uh, for the long term. I'm, I'm playing the long game this year. Uh, if I go on two, it's fine. It's no big deal. I've gone on five before and 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 won on a hot streak to win eight in a row and won a championship that way. So this is not a position. I'm not a. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, what do you call it? I'm not used to. I'm used to it. So we'll see what what happens. But uh, no, uh, I thought I had Bushnell right where I wanted him and. For whatever reason, the Giants decided that, or, or not the Giants, but Evan Ingram just couldn't get anything going last night for, against the Steelers. So, I mean, how indicative is it that you and I are going head to head, and we have to depend on a Giants game to decide the winner? Like, what kind of sick universe are we living in? And then Randy's just diabolically laughing at everything because uh, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that. There it is. That's him laughing. Um, look, you got a worse, worse week in fantasy than I did. It's all luck. You got to look at it as if luck is on your side that day, it'll take care of itself. But at the end of the day, if it was against you, then it's bad luck. I'll tell you what. If I had Andrew Luck, I think I would have had a better performance than Evan Ingram last night. <laughs> so I wonder how different you would have felt if he actually could have came back, uh, could have landed with that touchdown early in the game. They had a nice uh, <laughs> uh, slip. Uh, he slipped past the linebackers quick on the on the goal line, and Jones didn't get the ball up enough for him to grab it uh, right off his fingertips. But that would have been it. Might have salvaged your day a little bit, I think. Oh yeah, I, that definitely would have. But because yeah, with Sutton not playing. Uh, that would have given me the victory, probably, because uh, I only lost to, what, seven points? I was projected to lose by seven, and, I, you know, I don't believe it. And I ended up losing by seven, but I ended up scoring. I, I would have beaten six other teams last week. That's why I'm kind of optimistic. Normally, I'm not in a good mood when I lose to Bushnell, but I'm, I'm, I'm in a more better mood because uh, it's a sunny – this is a rare glimpse, you guys. You can see the sunny side disposition of Felipe's fantasy after a fantasy loss. And, uh, I, like I said, I like my chances for the long term. Um, it wasn't that bad of a performance by my team. I would have beaten six other teams. And all of my long-term plays, all my high-ceiling my high, uh, guys showed up. Uh, I have the kid from uh, the, the Ravens running back on my team. I have him on my bench because, you know, I'm not trusting a rookie to beat Bushnell in the first week of the season. But he had a hell of a game last night. Uh, yes, uh, on Sunday against the uh, – help me out here. Who did he play? The Browns. The Browns. Hey, he gets to play him one more time this season. So, yes. I have that uh, to look forward to uh, later this year. So, uh, but he had a hell of a game. He's just a rookie. I forgot the name. Help me out. What's the kid's name again? J.K. Dobbins. Jake, thank you, J.K. Dobbins. As you can tell, a little prep time for the start of this uh, fantasy football year. <laughs> this is probably like the shortest amount of prep time I've ever had for any fantasy sport ever. But uh, no, that's a, like I said, you guys inspired me to go in willy-nilly with no preparation. So I thank you for that. Yeah, I wanted to ask you something, Felipe, since, he, you know, uh, Total Basis podcast on, on Sundays and you are a baseball fantasy guru, as um, a lot of people will attest to, what different strategies do you, do you apply to baseball rather than football? Actually, I'm really glad you're asking that question because uh, this year I went out of my comfort zone in fantasy football. Normally, I like drafting high floor guys which means a bunch of veterans, right, But who have little to no upside left in their, in, uh, for the upcoming season. But I like those guys to round out my bench on football because I can trust them, right? I, I can, um, you know, um, I know that they're going to be wide receiver number two, number three for the respective teams, and I don't have to uh, – put it this way, if I have to pick up a guy on waiver wire 
who has a little bit of upside, like that rookie who's been developing and around week eight, he, it's finally clicking that wide receiver rookie or that, or that running back who's been on the, uh, buried in the depth charts, finally gets some playing time due to injuries. I go and scoop him up. Unfortunately, that has not worked out for me. The last, uh, uh, last time I played was in 2018. It seemed like everybody was doing that kind of strategy or, or, not, or even worse, they were drafting these young guys uh, earlier than usual or uh, aggressively in drafts. So, so that's something that kind of left a sour taste in my mouth was my team sucks. There's no prospects. There's no upside. And all these veterans are just floundering. I can't, even if I drop them, there's like nothing left in the waiver wire. I think I remember complaining to Bushnell about it back in 2018. And that, that was kind of a sour thing this year. However, uh, like I said, I I'm going for the upside. I, I drafted Michael Pittman uh, just because uh, I kept hearing good things. And Phil Rivers has a rapport with him. I picked up the, uh, the the second wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers. Not not the guy with the hyphenated name, but um, I don't know what my I don't know. Yeah, my guy. Yes, just because uh, I, I I just had a hunch. Like I never heard of this guy before, but you know who has heard of this guy before? Aaron Rodgers. So I'm gonna roll the dice with this kid who I, I have no idea who he is. I'm not picking up any uh, veteran who I might have known for before, and I'm gonna go on blind faith. Baseball is a little bit different because. I feel more trusting of the minor leaguers uh, to draft in the back end of my drafts because I know who these guys are, you know, and, and they're in the top 50 prospects. Uh, they're, we're, uh, they're playing games. They're not buried in the depth chart. They're not buried in practice uh, trying to, uh, you know, eat whatever practice reps you can get uh, uh, on Tuesdays through Fridays or even Saturdays. Um, you know, while Major League Baseball goes on, I can trust these minor leaguers. Like, you could tell what, what's going on in AA, AAA. So, of course, I'm, yes, give me a rookie Boba shed. I'll take him and I'll wait until June, July, until he comes up. Because you know what's going to happen? Once he gets called up, he's going to be the number one free agent for baseball, right? Uh, so that's my thing. Uh, and also the other thing I do on, uh, on baseball is I always pick the best player available regardless if they can get particular stats for me. It's a strategy that's worked for me, especially because I do head-to-head leagues. So that's what I, I kind of translate that into fantasy football as well. Uh, like I mentioned, it doesn't always work in fantasy football for whatever reason, especially the last couple of years that I was playing. But it, it's a nice little strategy for, uh, for me to do in uh, baseball. It's just, you know, regardless if they can get stolen bases or a high batting average, just whomever I think is the best player uh, at that position, just pick them up and uh, everything else will take care of itself. Uh, so I guess that would be it right there with the, the differences in strategy. I think you can be more patient with baseball given the, lo- the longevity of the season in a typical year anyway, obviously this year is oh, pretty sure. different. Yeah. For football, sure. you kind of have to, you can't be, you can't be tied down to a player. You have to be willing to cut guys when they're not living up to your, you know, preseason expectations, which is hard. To, it's a hard decision to make uh, typically, but uh, football, you gotta be, you gotta be willing to cut those guys, um, which leads me to this segment. Now, uh, Matt, I want, I want you to give me a guy who you're going to be looking for on the waivers this week. Felipe, I'm going to ask you the same question and then I'll wrap it up after that. Okay. I, I really want Naheem Hines. I'm hoping to mm-hmm. pick him up. Um, I, I need – Devin Singletary did not impress me this past week. Um, mm-hmm. Buffalo seemed that they forgot to have him. I, the, the biggest thing for me is my running back position I'm worried about because I Saquon Barkley's performance, not so yeah. much his, but that offensive line scared the shit out of me. And like we talked about in the division preview, they got the Bears, then they got the 49ers, they got the Rams – and, you know, that, that's going to be a hellacious four weeks, and I got some tough opponents, so I need to upgrade my running back position pretty immediately. Felipe, who are you looking at uh, for the waivers this week? I think I have the number one waiver wire order, right, Matt? 
Uh, I think I'm number one because I was a Tulsa pick overall. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe so, yes. So I guess I can tell you without fearing that you're going to swoop in. And uh, I already put my claim in. I've only, like, one thing I promised myself I wouldn't do so much this year because I used to go real hard with this is uh, I'm going to take it easy on the waiver wire because it's just, it's so tedious for me. But the one guy I will go after this week, for better or for worse, is this kid named Russell Gage from the Falcons. Uh, okay. if Matt, if Matt Ryan's going to be throwing the ball 70 times a game, uh, there's plenty of balls for everybody to catch. So I'm, I'm good with, uh, getting this, uh, kid who I've never heard of before, but I have a good feeling about him. It's like that horse, you know, you, you go to the bed, to the, uh, to the OTVs and like, I had a good feeling on, on suck, suck a, whatever carrot, uh, to win it all in this race. So, um, also interesting. You mentioned Randy, uh, the, the thing about the, the, how baseball is a marathon and foot, fantasy football is more of a sprint. This yeah. year, however, because of the, of the pandemic uh, yeah. and the late start to the year, that's what baseball felt like. And I think in short order, in, 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 in an indirect way, the shortened season in fantasy baseball got me ready to just dive in into fantasy football because it's kinda, it, it was kind of similar in, in time span. I just wanted to point that out since you uh, brought it up earlier. I love that. And one of the, my biggest critiques of fantasy baseball, which is nothing you can do about it, is that I, I just can't be invested that long into it. I just I lose interest after a while, especially if my team's not doing that well. Uh, daily fantasy is probably a better option for me in baseball. Um, but as far as waiver wires for me this week, I'm looking at two names. Uh, Jarek McKinnon of the 49ers, who I predicted to win comeback player of the year, found the end zone for the 49ers last week or on Sunday. And then also Scotty Miller is the slot receiver for the Patriots or not the Patriots uh, for the Bucks. And Tom Brady loves him a little short white guy at slot receiver. He had a nice game for the Bucks. So if you're in a PPR league, I would look at Scotty Miller um, for that. But um, Felipe, before we say goodbye to you, before we say goodbye to the show, plug your upcoming show on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, it's the total basis podcast. Uh, brunch and baseball edition, uh, 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, I don't know what we're going to be talking about. Last week we talked about um, – oh, shoot, I'm drawing a blank. Mm, nope, Tim, I forgot already. Tim What's Anderson, that? the best hitter in baseball? Still? Yeah, sure, why not? Um, <laughs> but no, uh, we, you know, we're pro- oh, I know what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, uh, the Baseball Life Fantasy Baseball uh, League as uh, championship week is this week. Uh, uh, we already have the top four picks for next year because uh, you have to earn your spot for next year. Congratulations. Uh, quick shout out to Matthew Wheeling for being the number one pick overall for next season's uh, draft. Uh, mm-hmm. Tough luck to Henry, uh, who got the number two pick overall, which he might as well just not have a draft pick next year. But uh, <laughs> but no, we're, we're winding out. We're going to recap as much as we can the uh, our, our little fantasy baseball league uh, that's based off our, our baseball group. I love that. Yeah, check those guys out. You and Sean uh, early on Sunday before football starts. I uh, love watching you guys when I get the chance to, uh, when I'm when I'm done tinkering with my fantasy football lineups, I usually check you guys out. Uh, even when I'm not in a fantasy baseball league this year, I still enjoy uh, hearing what you guys have to say. Uh, Matt, I know you're a big fan of the Total Bases podcast as well. Yeah, because I compete against Felipe in a fantasy baseball league and I need all the help I can get. I mean, <laughs> do, my, my pitching rotation, I've been accused of tanking by Felipe when every <laughs> starter outside of Lucas Giolito has been on the IL for my team. Like, my pitching rotation is garbage. We started off strong, Randy. It, it was like a freight train. I was talking shit to Felipe. I'm like, man, <laughs> this is everything I paid off for. I paid my dues. And of course, now Felipe is staring down at me. What, what are you, fourth, fifth, fourth or third uh, place? 
I'm in fifth place, but I'm I continue to scratch and claw because I wasn't dead last and dead last row big. We, we switched over to fantasy points as opposed to head to head because of the pandemic, and, and Bushnell was talking and talking. It's kind of hard to take you seriously when you're in dead last down there, Felipe. And I'm like, all right, and, and that just it's smart. That's the last thing you want to do to me is talk garbage to me because uh, I, I have a long memory and I'm very petty. I'm a bad sport. I'm like the worst person to play fantasy sports in because I don't shake hands. I don't congratulate you right away. Um, but uh, no, all kidding aside, actually, I'm not really kidding. Uh, but no, and the other thing uh, that I remember when we talked about, we, uh, we previewed the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs as well from a numeric standpoint. So that's the thing. I, uh, that's the thing. I think uh, uh, Yankees are not that bad, Randy. They just uh, got to get healthy. So I thought I'd give you some good news about your baseball team there. Yeah, I'm watching them right now. They're up 12 to 1 on the Blue Jays. Giancarlo Stanton just watched the pitch across the plate for a strikeout, so that was fun. His first game back, but uh, Judge will be yeah, back at some point this week. So uh, let's see how they look with a couple of weeks before the playoffs. I'm optimistic. Uh, playing better than they were the last couple of weeks, so I'm 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 liking what I'm seeing now. But uh, Felipe, thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, maybe next time we'll get to see your face, uh, and you can bless us with your 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 locks and uh, maybe the baby or something. But uh, you know, you're killing it in the in fatherhood, my friend. And, you know, we love seeing the updates of your, your precious baby girl. And, you know, thank you again for taking some time to join us on the show today. I oh, appreciate you guys having me. I appreciate the kind words, Randy. Uh, but I always uh, fearful that I might be too, exposing my baby girl too much. But we got, listen, man, I've been blessed with having friends like you and, uh, and of course, Matt. But I knew him before I, I even knew he had a Facebook. I think it's a long <laughs> story about that one. But Randy is strictly one of them uh, internet friends, one of them Facebook friends, true and true. And, when you have people like Randy and, and guys like Henry and, and Sean, uh, who's my podcast partner, Vince Mercandetti, who does the, uh, the baseball podcast over at uh, Dong City, uh, it, you know, I feel like I owe it to you guys to share that little piece of my life uh, with you all just to see that I'm still living and breathing. I'm, I'm absolutely having a blast being a father. So uh, thank you for that. I really appreciate those kind words, Randy. Uh, I, I love to hear that. I mean, I'm, I'm not a father. Maybe someday if I'm lucky enough, I will be. And I, I hope I have that enthusiasm for that uh, like <laughs> you do, because uh, I've heard it's exhausting, but at the same time, there's nothing more proud uh, you could possibly be at. You are the veteran in that aspect. So I know that you are a proud father as well. And yet somehow you impress me every week by being able to make yourself available to do these shows and do all these fantasy leagues. I don't know how you guys manage your time because all I have are two jobs and I can't even manage my time. So <laughs> credit to you guys, <laughs> credit to you guys being great dads and, and great sports with all this stuff going on. But, uh, Matt, it's time to say goodbye. Do you have any parting words for our audience? Big games this Sunday. None bigger for this show than Bears-Giants. It's an apocalyptic <laughs> matchup. You have the irresistible force versus the immovable object. I'm kidding. It's trash versus trash. God knows what Saquon's going to do against his Bears defense if they can't stop the run. But I expect a high-scoring affair. We'll touch on that on Friday. Yes, uh, Friday. We are going to keep doing the Friday shows. We're not going to do it late this week uh, due to scheduling conflicts. We're going to do it middle of the day for the East Coast on maybe noon, one o'clock-ish, Matt. we got to work out the timing on that. But if you're an early riser on the West Coast, we'll be on early then. But, uh, you know, be sure to check us out. We're going to preview all the Week 2 games. We have a recap of Thursday Night Football, uh, maybe give some fantasy advice, which is always something I love talking to you guys about as well. So, uh, uh, thank you guys so much for joining us, uh, watching us live on Facebook, watching us on YouTube, whether you're listening to us on any of our audio platforms, Anchor, uh, uh, Apple, or Spotify. Thank you guys so much for all the support. Felipe, thank you again so much for joining us. Matt, it's been a pleasure as always, and we will see you guys on Friday. Take care.